Welcome to Strictly Jojo, a podcast dedicated to Jojo's Bizarre Adventure, where every Jojo episode is reviewed by casuals for casuals. My name is Courtney. This is episode 21, and we're reviewing part two, Battle Tendency 100 Against 2. As always, there'll be spoilers for this episode and anything that's happened in the Jojo anime, so you've been warned. Let's talk about it. Let's talk about the JoJo Stone Ocean streaming event that happened on August 7th. Because there's not much to talk about about this episode. <laughs> well, okay. I mean, to be fair, it's I would I would categorize this episode, 100 Against 2, as um, kind of how you've categorized a few others, a transitional episode, perhaps? Trademark. <laughs> I think this one truly is a transitional episode because it takes us from um, Caesar's arc and ultimately his death into the fight with Wamu that uh, Joseph and him have been touting for the last several episodes. Yeah. But let's talk about more exciting things. (laughs) Hey, I still like this episode. But yes, let's talk about, again, the JoJo Stone Ocean streaming event. Holy shit. What a great event. First of all, I mean, first and foremost, we actually got translations that made sense so we could follow what the fuck was going on during (laughs) this event. (laughs) They probably took a lot of feedback from the original streaming event. Um, from April, because um, it looked like this was pre-recorded. I think so, yeah. And then, like, the streaming event was on YouTube, so YouTube had these subtitles already generated, but it wasn't, like, auto-generated. Like, it was actually professional subtitles, so that was definitely a big plus from last time. And also, um, stateside, I think this came out at, like, 10 p.m., um, local time so we didn't have to stay up at until 2 30 in the morning yeah. to start watching like a four-hour streaming event but no mm-hmm. for anyone who's not familiar um we do have an episode out on the jojo was it the joestar inherited soul event yes where they brought together all of the previous jojo voice actors kind of did some i don't know some trivia um talked about jojo did some live readings and then at the end surprised everybody with the, the official announcement of part six stone ocean uh, anime adaptation so during that event um it was supposedly a live event which is why here in chicago we had to watch it at 2 30 in the morning didn't go to bed to probably like 6 30 in the morning well worth it and then the subtitles and this is a paid event by the way like 40 bucks per viewing um the subtitles were auto generated like by some bot and it was the most Mm -hmm. fucked up thing ever there's some really weird subtitles like someone had some long nipples apparently and i'm sure that's not what they actually said so if you're not familiar (laughs) with it i'm sure you can google some of the uh the crazy translations that came up at that event um and see all of the the wild things we read on screen yeah but this was much more composed i guess yeah. <laughs> this was actual logical legible translation mm-hmm. so thank you very much for that we appreciate that as us viewers um i did have a small like panic moment when we casted our like our our youtube feed to our, our chromecast um and i guess it doesn't actually show you the youtube translations or subtitles yeah because we were panicking like the, the event started and they're speaking in japanese and i'm like where are the subtitles they said that there were going to be english subtitles for this event but then we realized that it's actually embedded into like the youtube video not on the video the original source video itself so we had to watch it on YouTube and just screen mirror instead. Small, like, you know, panic moment for us. Just a uh, user error there, but we, we got around it. Although I think if you cast it from your phone, there is an option to choose closed captioning, but I don't know if it's different since this was a live stream, if that um, option was not available because of the format. Um, but yeah, we were able to solve it in time. We probably missed, like, a couple sentences of dialogue, but... Yeah, probably just some introductory pieces. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was a it was a good event. Um, some highlights from this event: we got the key visual, which was leaked like several days beforehand, yeah. along so, with a lot of other art too. Yeah, of the characters. character models and stuff um, for the main cast. So that was, I guess, cool to see it officially announced. And they played it off well. They were like, "Here's the key visual. First time you're ever seeing it." And we're all like, "Now nah, we saw this on Twitter." <laughs> <laughs> well, it makes me think like when this was recorded. Like if they yeah. had recorded it before those leaks, but if they hadn't, well, kudos to them for <laughs> keeping up the facade. <laughs> yeah, and uh, those visuals, it was mostly, I think, the single visual um, of Jolene and the gang, including Jotaro on a staircase. 
And then um, again, yeah, we got the character models for the main characters in the show. Um, we have not gotten anything on the villain. Um, I'm I'm sure most people know who the villain is, but yeah, we haven't gotten anything on the villain either through the leaks or through this event. I know people were freaking out on Twitter about it. They're like, "Where is he? Where's the villain?" I won't say his name. I guess. <laughs> I'm again. I'm sure everyone knows who he is. Um, I yeah. don't. Oh, you don't. Not technically, but okay. Well, I'm sure. <laughs> I'm sure on the ship post crusaders subreddit or somewhere out there in the jojo universe you've seen the big baddie for stone ocean yeah i guess i just forget from time to time but i think finally watching this part i'll i'll remember <laughs> <laughs> well we also got the trailer which i think was the biggest surprise and the biggest um i don't know takeaway from this event and it was awesome it was just so awesome. You could tell it was like slightly rough around the edges, like probably very early animation because mm-hmm. um, some of the, the shots were a bit stilted. But hey, like they're they're still in the throes of putting this together. I'm not surprised. I'm happy we got anything at all. Um, and then on top of that, we also got confirmation that Stone Ocean is airing December 2021, way sooner than I thought. I think in our last discussion about it, I don't know if it was on uh, here on Strictly JoJo or over on Strictly Anime, you had predicted it would be winter... 2022 or like once the new yeah, year passed like by. fall 2021 i guess technically for netflix and winter 2022 but i was like no it won't it won't come out until like mid to late 2022 you were right i was wrong and i'm very happy that i'm wrong because i'm happy to see it sooner than later yeah i guess you could consider it a christmas present for a jojo for the community JoJo fans. yeah <laughs> <laughs> well yeah to clarify on that um so there's two dates that it's being broadcast um, first, it's going to be released on Netflix exclusively starting in December 2021, and then it's going to be aired in Japan starting January 2022. Very interesting decision. Um, I'm not surprised Netflix wanted to snag Stone Weird Ocean flex, like that. flex, but okay. Yeah, exactly. Um, I- I'm nervous about Netflix doing this, mostly because they have a tendency to do a full series dump of episodes versus weekly episodes. And we talked a little bit about this, I think, previously, um, maybe on Strictly Anime. Mm -hmm. We've also talked about it with our friends um, in some depth. And I don't know, like, I'm a binge watcher through and through. But when it comes to some of these major shows like Attack on Titan, JoJo, um, just to name a few, I I prefer to watch them weekly because there's something about um, going through that experience together with the fandom that I really enjoy. It's that sense of community, you know, each week going on Mal or going on Reddit and like talking about what's going on in these these episodes week by week and predicting what's going to happen next um, somewhat on Twitter. But there's a lot of spoilers on Twitter, so I try to avoid it. So I don't know. I don't know how I feel about it. I'm, I'm kind of nervous with the decision they'll make. I mean, what would you prefer, weekly or full series dump? I don't know. Just... This- Definitely for um, JoJo, I would have preferred a weekly format. And I agree with a lot of the points that you mentioned. There's a certain magic around getting to watch things on a weekly basis. And I like like you said, the thing to compare this to is like, what would the community reaction have been if Attack on Titan, the final season, all episodes were streamed or like released at the same time? It would be a fucking shit show. Right. Oh, my God. And granted, like, JoJo Part 6, the manga has been around for years and years. So even, like, with us anime viewers who aren't completely familiar with the story, like, the story's been out there. Um, Yeah, people know who Jolene is. Right. Yeah. But even still, like you said, there's that sense of community with getting to discuss things about each episode on a weekly basis. And for... Again, Netflix too. I am certain they're going to just dump everything as they have with every other series that has aired on their streaming platform. Um, But yeah, like that obviously opens up rooms for spoilers for people who maybe they still want to watch the series on a weekly basis. But you go on the internet, like on Reddit, and people are already posting spoilers about having watched the entire thing, which I'm surprised, like the speed at which certain people will watch these shows. Yeah, (laughs) it's called binge watching, and I do that all the time. (laughs) Well, no, that's a good point. I think, um, so two things. One, you almost have this sense of like, holy shit, I got to watch it right now. Like, Even if you don't want to, and in this case, I don't want to. I want weekly episodes. Again, very odd for a binge watcher like me. 
but you almost feel forced to because to your mm -hmm. point if you don't you're gonna get spoiled but then on the flip side the whole series or i keep saying series the whole season is out so technically it's fair game those people can put spoilers out there i mean they should be cautious about how they do it right like put you know spoiler tags or warnings or mm -hmm. um you know whatever you call it censor your spoilers um but you can't necessarily be mad at them because the show's out there it, the season's done all in one fell swoop so yeah. it's just up to you to catch up fast enough so yeah even if you wanted to to do a slow burn on it enjoy it you know day by day week by week you almost can't because you either have to do that and avoid social media or binge watch it and then join social media in the initial conversations although i'm sure we're gonna probably binge watch it once oh, yeah. it's released <laughs> um but i'm sure we'll talk about like the format of how we'll review those episodes um, when they come out um, yeah we'll get to podcast. that in just a second um because yeah this is going to be it's going to be interesting i i really 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 hope that they do not do a full season dump i also feel bad for the japan viewers who don't have netflix or don't want to get netflix because then they're like well shit there's spoilers out there already and we still have to wait until january to watch it so I don't know. We'll see how it goes. Mm -hmm. um, the other stuff that we got confirmed, or one other thing that we got confirmed, I'm sorry, two more things that we got confirmed at the streaming event. One is the confirmed staff and voice actors for the series, the, the series, the season. I keep saying series. I apologize for the season. Um, we already knew Farouz uh, I. I don't know how to say her name. Yeah, Farouz I. I. Um, that she was voicing Jolene, but now we've got the voice actors for everyone else. I mean, we kind of predicted that Daisuke Ono would be back to reprise his role as Jotaro. Mm -hmm. No, no biggie there. Um, but I, I don't know. I don't, I'm not familiar with any of the other voice actors, but from the sounds of their voices and the snippets in the trailers, they all sound like perfect fits. Perfect yeah, fits. they do. And I just have a quick rundown of those actors. So we have, I'm not going to mention the characters names because i don't know who's familiar with the characters as i think yet. you can at this point okay i mean they're in the trailer they're in the key visual yeah um and so really yeah. the names are not a spoiler it's that's true you don't know much about the character just by the name um but in i guess true jojo fashion the names are all like references to a certain theme so i think for part six the theme is like fashion designers yeah so we have hermes costello voiced by mutsumi tamura um FF or Food Foo Fighters, voiced by Maria Issei. Which is weird. I think that's like one of the only ones that's a music reference. Oh, that's true. I didn't even realize <laughs> In that. a theme of uh, <laughs> designers, you've got Foo Fighters. Yeah. He just wanted to squeeze in one more band name. Um, for Matsumi, I don't know what, or I'm not familiar with some of her notable roles, but for Maria Issei, she was the voice of Rey in Promised Neverland recently. Um, you have Emporio Al Nino voiced by Tsumi Tanezaki, who was also in Promised Neverland recently um, as the voice of Mujika. Uh, Weather Report uh, is going to be voiced by Yuichiro Umehara. I think recently we've heard him in Words Bubble Up like Soda Pop um, as Tough Boy. Oh. Um, and he was also Sniper Mask in High Rise Invasion. I remember we talked about that. Oh, yeah, that. that's right. I love his voice. He did a great job as Sniper Mask, and he was also... Akudama Drive. Yeah, from Akudama's... Akudama Drive, he was Courier, and I think his voice is awesome. He yeah. is a perfect fit for Weather Report. And I think the last confirmed voice actor, again, besides Daisuke Ono, it was um, Daisuke Namikawa, who is going to voice Narciso and Asui. Um, and I think recently he did Choso from Jujutsu Kaisen, who was like more of a minor character. We've seen him. Um, I can't really describe his appearance, but we've seen him in the show. That's <laughs> He's like a minor, minor character. I think he plays a bigger part. I kind of read spoilers, like researching the character. Oh. <laughs> but he, I think he does appear in season one. But yeah, that's who has been confirmed so far for the Stone Ocean cast. Okay. And I will say, um, you know, I we've talked about these characters' names, but I'm avoiding saying the, the main antagonist's name just because... He hasn't been announced, you know, officially through this Stone Ocean anime adaptation, you know, uh, what do you call it, promotional bit that they're doing. So I'm trying to avoid saying his name. But if you go on Mal, his name's right there. Mm -hmm. um, also, if you go on Mal, be very careful of the characters and voice actors section because there's a big ass spoiler just glaring at me right there without even having to go into more characters. Just right there in the front of everything. Do you see who I'm talking about on the right hand side, lower right? 
I'm not on malice. Okay, good. Okay, okay. <laughs> I don't want to. I thought you were on malice. So I was no. like, um, you're probably <laughs> was... seeing what I'm seeing. And that's a huge ass spoiler for uh, for the part six story. So again, if you have not read the manga, if you don't know anything about part six, if you don't even know who the main bad guy is, avoid the characters and voice actors section of Stone Ocean in Mal. And then <laughs> the last thing we wanted to call out was Jolene's theme song. Yes. So actually, we forgot to mention the biggest elephant in the room. And this was kind of a given, but David Production is returning oh, to yeah. animate oh, Stone Ocean. Yeah. So I wouldn't trust any other studio at this point with JoJo. Not even Mappa. <laughs> um, no, honestly, David Production has done yeah, such a phenomenal job. And I know people on Twitter... As they were confirming staff and voice actors, everyone kept asking, like, where's David Production? When are they going to confirm it? And then there was a big sigh of relief when they finally did. Yeah. Uh, But in terms of music, again, for Jolene's theme, we actually got hints of the theme throughout the streaming events. And then you hear it clearly um, in the later half of the teaser trailer. And I was just glad to hear that Hugo Kano, who's been composing the score for the series since season three or technically yeah technically season or season three but part four um is returning i was gonna say we go by parts here yeah (laughs) (laughs) just to be technical season three but part four um but he is returning for part six and he just nails the jojo theme right on the head and they were kind of talking a bit about the influence um that he drew for this theme and I he mentioned like it's or I think it was like the director since uh, Yugo Kano wasn't at the event but that he kind of based it off of like kind of a jazzy theme and because spoiler alert part six does take place stateside um, so he wanted to bring in that kind of American jazz influence and there have been some comparisons between Jolene's theme and the Wonder Woman theme online. I know. Yeah, you showed me that. And hearing them back to back, I was like, damn, so they actually yet. do sound really close. You can't unhear it. Um, so hopefully there, there's no like copyright issues there. And I'd like to think maybe it's just inspiration because these two franchises, or at least this series, and obviously Wonder Woman are headed by two female protagonists so maybe that's where they drew the inspiration well it's similar to all might's theme is inspired by superman's theme right Right. so i think yeah they're trying to go in the same vein there and you do hear hints of jothro's theme um from stardust crusaders um in her theme so that's obvious because there is a familial connection there um and it kind of harkens back to part four where you could also hear his theme in josuke's theme so all in all, Yugo Kano is a fucking musical genius. So I'm just very <laughs> glad that her theme is a banger. Yeah, I, I think it would have been a crime to not have Jotaro's theme infused at some point in Jolene's theme. I mean, if you had it in Josuke's and yeah, they're family, but like Jotaro is more of a mentor um, to Josuke. Having, you know, their their two themes meshed, it, it would certainly make sense to mesh his with with jolene's Mm -hmm. Um, but i love it i think it sounds great and it's a a perfect fit for the setting um the place in which stone ocean takes place um i won't i won't mention it because again well i mean it was in the trailer yeah i don't think they mentioned the specific place i mean like they mentioned the location but like not the actual area you know what at this point go watch the trailer so that you can (laughs) understand what we're talking about if you haven't watched the trailer already um, and if you have watched the trailer or know of the manga or just of Stone Ocean in general, you know what location I'm talking about. So we'll leave it at that. Mm-hmm. Um, the last thing I'll say before we get into our plan uh, for Stone Ocean as far as this podcast goes is that I'm still holding out hope that they will use Dolly Parton's Jolene oh, that's as right. the ending song. <laughs> I think I um, tweeted that. <laughs> I, I think it, it just, I, I don't know if it'll make sense with how David Production has approached the rest of the ending themes, which is those songs have some sort of connection to that Jojo part based on the time that Araki was, was creating it. Mm-hmm. Um, I think like one of them, um, you know, was a song that he listened to all the time when he was working on that particular manga. It was roundabout for part one. Yeah, that's right. So then that's why they chose that song for that part. And you can find the backstory on, on the rest of them. Um, I'm sure online, but I don't know if there's a connection with Dolly Parton's Jolene with Iraqi, but I think it would be crazy to not use it 
as the ending. And assuming that it has 25, 26 episodes, um, the episode count is not confirmed as of yet, but assuming that it's, you know, the same length as the rest of them, you can have that one plus another ending theme song. So even if there's something else that they wanted to use, they could still fit in Jolene, okay? (laughs) I think we talked about this um, for our episode on the Inherited Soul streaming event. Um, Yeah, I I could see them using Jolene probably for like, the first half of Stone Ocean. Yeah. And then in terms of maybe using a, a second ED um, for the second half, I researched that Stone Ocean was written between like 2000 to 2003. And if you remember, uh, at 2003, uh, there was a rock band that was like at the height of its popularity. Oh, yeah, I remember what you were. Yeah, you, you mentioned this before on this podcast, but yes, please continue. <laughs> yes. So if anyone remembers the movie Daredevil with Ben Affleck, the song that was prominently used in that movie was Bring Me to Life, which was by the rock band Evanescence. <laughs> and so <laughs> I was theorizing that Evanescence would be a perfect fit um, to use as an ending theme for Jolene. Honestly, I'll take it. That'd be fucking badass. Can you imagine rocking out to Bring Me to Life every yeah. time a, a part six episode ends? <laughs> that would be amazing. Um, another one fans have brought up is Ocean Man. Um, whether that's an ending song or just one that the they- The one end- from SpongeBob? Uh, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> but Ocean Man, just because it fits with Jotaro. Um, as as we all know from part four, he's a he becomes a marine biologist. Oh right, um, right, right. Well, I guess part four into part five. Cause at the end, they said that he was going to be a marine biologist. Whatever. Um, so that that's his that's technically his profession. Uh, so I think that some fans were like, hey, if you use Ocean Man, that would be a great fit. Although that's more focused on Jotaro than it is for Jolene. But the part is called Stone Ocean, so I guess there's a connection. That's true. There. That's true. Yeah. But I. I wouldn't be able to get the SpongeBob movie out of my head because that was the ending credits theme. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Last thing before we get into, I guess, our schedule um, in terms of reviewing Stone Ocean. The one thing that I really got out of the event and more particularly out of uh, Fairuz Ai, who is voicing Jolene, is just how much the the cast and crew love working on the anime and like i can tell like they're putting their all into it um, especially just listening to the director wanting to stay as faithful to the manga as possible and even from Fairuz, um i don't know if most of you know but like her backstory is that she had done like these fan recordings i guess of stone ocean in like some skype sessions and she played some of the different parts i don't remember she mentioned playing jolene she um well i know she mentioned originally auditioning for foo fighters but then they Mm. wanted to um they thought her voice is a good fit for jolene so i don't know if maybe she did readings as foo fighters in the past yeah but like you can tell like she is a huge fan of jojo and i think for her to have been given this this role is like a blessing on her behalf and a huge even a blessing for us as fans because you can you know like how dedicated she is to the role and i remember she mentioned at one point when she was being interviewed that she mentioned like a, a reference to a future part like part eight or nine i don't know what the exact reference Wait, was. nine nine's not in the world oh <laughs> nine, part- okay just side note nine did get confirmed soft confer- <laughs> confirmation so for any manga readers um, of JoJo out there, yeah, part eight just wrapped up. Part mm-hmm. nine got a soft confirmation from Araki. Okay, so maybe it was like part seven or eight. But just for her to mention that, like, I was just impressed of, like, how much research she has done. Again, being, like, a lifelong JoJo fan. So that was the one thing that I took away from this event is just how passionate people are for this project. And it just makes you even more excited to see this season, not just as, like, a, a another anime coming out for winter 2021 but as this this magnificent event much like the final season of attack on titan yeah i I think she's like the other voice actors a great fit a perfect fit for jolene um she just embodies that that joestar you know demeanor and yeah being a, a fellow fan we can all certainly appreciate that so i'm excited to see her performance as jolene once this finally airs 
Um, and speaking of which, on our end here at Strictly JoJo, the general schedule, I think things kind of line up pretty nicely for us because I believe we'll be ending our review of part two, um, I think like early November-ish. Mm-hmm. And then we'll kind of have a little a little bit of a gap um, mid-November to whenever part six airs in December. So during that time, we're hoping to have a guest on, um, do some discussion episodes about you know different JoJo topics. And then once part six kicks off, we'll do that review series. Um, and depending on how Netflix handles the episodes, I honestly think either way, we're, we're going to stick to that traditional weekly review cycle. So even if they do a full season dump on Netflix, I could see us still wanting to do, um, I guess in this, because of our schedule, bi-weekly um, episodes. Or you know what? Maybe we'll do weekly. Let's, let's not yeah, keep people waiting. Yeah, like Attack on Titan. Yeah, this we'll, is a big event. We'll do weekly episodes, even though our normal schedule is bi-weekly. We'll do weekly episodes um, reviewing each episode of Stone Ocean. Um, regardless of what Netflix decides to do on their end. So that way you guys can follow along on the journey with us and we can give each episode, you know, specific focus, um, a specific discussion. And then once part six wraps up, we'll then kick off our part three review series. Um, maybe in between we'll bring on another guest, maybe have a couple more discussion episodes, um, but we'll, we'll plan to kick off part three after part six ends and we're all crying because now we have to wait for part seven <laughs> how fitting though that we'll start part three after part six right? i know right it's kind <laughs> it's of like, going backwards but like tying in it's, it's like not, destiny yeah it's fate. like starting you know jotaro's story um jolene's dad's story and i could honestly see us once we make our way back to part six again i would love to do like a re-review Mm-hmm. Um, another watch of part six and you know after the initial hype you know do we still feel the same about certain things does it still you know hit the same way i'm sure it will so yeah that's that's kind of our plan um look forward to that and yeah we'll look forward to part six <laughs> and then the long wait until part seven. Oh god the very very <laughs> long wait i can't believe how long we had to wait for part six i think this is the longest wait we've had throughout the jojo series yeah, and I know now there's a Twitter set up for is Steel Ball Run confirmed? Yeah, that Twitter's going to be going <laughs> for years. Been, yeah, now they've been tweeting every day saying no. <laughs> People are speculating. Okay, one more side note before we get into the actual episode. People are speculating that they won't adapt Part 7 only because of the horses. This isn't really a spoiler mm. for Part 7, but there are a lot of horses um, that are in that that manga. And people are saying that horses are very, very difficult to animate and david production typically wants to stick to like true animation or be as consistent as possible across jojo so that they may be hesitant to do like cgi horses um but i'm like i can't see david production not wanting to adapt part seven at all just because of the fucking horses they'll make a decision either way Mm -hmm. but i can't see them not doing it at all i would still think like the technology or like animation technology is still advanced enough where you can pull that off without. Can you just like copy and paste CGI? the fucking horses? Like draw <laughs> one or two horses and then copy mm. and paste them all over the place. How do how do you animate um like large crowds, right? Unless you're talking like just like a single horse. Um, well, also keep in, shot. keep in mind that like JoJo poses are very ornate and detailed. Yeah, and I don't know if like any horses in Part Seven strike a JoJo pose. I, I'd like to think so. That'd be cool. But that's. <laughs> Also a feat to to kind of tackle in itself. Yeah. Well, anyway, um, part six, we'll continue to keep you guys updated as more announcements come through. We'll look forward to kicking that off in December. And let's continue with our part two review. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so 100 against two. Uh, I know there's always the cliche of the quote unquote talking episode. But I'd like to dub this one more of a quote-unquote walking episode. There's a lot of walking. Yeah, there's Joseph and Lisa Lisa walking through the rest of the hotel. And then Joseph walking back to their cabin or whatever to pick up the stone. And then walking towards the arena. Just a lot of walking. And I guess a lot of talking too. Which kind of catches you off guard because the episode title implies that there's going to be this very lopsided battle. But it's really the hundred like vampire bat soldiers that are in the hotel looking at the pair as they kind of ponder what to do next. And as you mentioned in the beginning, this is, I feel like this is just the inevitable transition episode that's just going to set up 
the very next episode, which we see focuses on Joseph and Wamu. But I think we kind of needed this lull after the emotional roller coaster of Caesar's demise in the previous episode. But what do you think about 100 against 2? I completely agree. I, I think it's um, it, for us to go right into the battle against Wamu or go into right, right into some crazy episode would almost feel a little bit disrespectful to Caesar and his death. Um, I know he's a fictional character, but that death hit hard. Not mm-hmm. not as hard as it did with Joseph and Lisa Lisa, but as a viewer, that death certainly hit hard. So I'm fine having a bit of a breather. I still think it was a valuable episode. Um, it's very, very important because we get some key information about Lisa Lisa and hints to mm-hmm. her ties to Joseph, which you know we'll talk about because we are a spoiler type of podcast. But I think that um, from a grand scheme of things, it is one of the slower episodes in part two, to your point, a transitional episode. I know that's copyright, but I'm going <laughs> to borrow it. <laughs> but let's go ahead and dive right into the thick of the quote-unquote battle with our summary and discussion for part two, episode 12, 100 against two. That was a lot of numbers. Was it? Oh, <laughs> two, twelve, hundred, two. <laughs> Joseph Wu and Lisa Lisa cut off their Hamon waterwork tribute to Shiza and continue through Swiss Hotel San Moritz using Wamu's bloody stream, Ayo, as their guide. The pair run into an optional side mission and face the vampire crony, Wired Beck, but Lisa Lisa literally walks all over him and easily defeats him with her Hamon-infused scarf. Joseph proclaims that he will not take the saliva-drenched antidote until he erases Wamu from existence. And speak of the devil, they run into him and Cars and a hundred of their blood-sucking cronies in need of a very Bloody Mary at this moment. But before they are turned into human wine pouches, Lisa Lisa threatens to blow up the super hot fire Asia and throws Joseph under the bus by offering him in a fight against Wamu to be followed by her against Cars for the right to claim the stone. The Pillarmans oblige and keep the Hamon Master as collateral whilst setting the time for the battle at half past 30 minutes before midnight. Joseph is tasked with retrieving the super hot fire Asia and finds a picture circa 1889 of Erina Bachan, Speed Waifu, and an unidentified infant object. We find out through Lisa Lisa that she was the baby in question that Erina rescued aboard the ship at the time of Jonathan Joestar's death, and that Streitso raised her in the ways of Hamon and gave her the super hot fire Aja before he became un poco loco, which technically means that she's currently living her midlife crisis. Finally, the Pillarmans reveal that Joseph Unwamu's title card fight will take the form of a chariot race using vampire horses, the chariot industry standard, of course, and Joseph Udon's Shiza's headband for the latter to lend him his energy as the Hamon horse race of the century featuring the two most tenacious titans of our time is about to begin. Oh wait, never mind. And now onto our next segment of the show is that a music reference where we document any and all nods, homages, and tributes that this extraordinary anime makes to the ordinary world of music. And finally, is that a music reference is back on the board because I do have one. And that is, of course, through the character Wired Beck, which is actually two references in one. So the first one is the last name Beck is a reference to Jeff Beck who is a British rock guitarist known for playing with the English rock band The Yardbirds, which is notable for jumpstarting the careers of other guitarists and artists like Eric Clapton and Jimmy Page. And Jeff Beck is in the top five of Rolling Stone magazine's 100 Greatest Guitarists list. The second reference is with the first name Wired. Wired is actually the name of the second solo album by Jeff Beck, which features the psychedelic track Goodbye Pork Pie Hat, which was his rendition of a jazz instrumental by Charles Mingus. So finally, again, we get a music reference after so long. What about sunglasses at night? Yeah, I talked <laughs> about this with you as we were re-watching the episode before um, recording this podcast. Um, so I noticed like, as Joseph returns to... Lisa Lisa and the Pillar Men that Lisa Lisa is just wearing sunglasses um, and it's 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 right before midnight of course because that's when they set the time for the fight and it reminded me of the song 
I wear my sunglasses at night. Probably no literal connection, but hey, we can make it a connection here. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure Rocky made that intentional. And maybe he was thinking of that song as he was drawing her character. So, yeah. Well, now it's time for the JoJo meme rundown, where we list each new JoJo meme that appeared in this episode. And I don't have any. Sorry, guys. I tried to look for what one in this episode. <laughs> but I don't think there were any. I know that... That picture or that image of Joseph ripping his coat off where like, I don't know, he's about to go do a llama and he pulls it down off his shoulders and his chest is all puffed out. That's been tossed around a couple of times, but I don't know if you can call it a true meme. So maybe that's like an honorable meme. I was going to say Wired Beck's scream before he disintegrates. But I don't think, is that actually <laughs> it's not a meme, a meme but it's just a funny It's funny. Moment. Yeah, it's funny yeah. as fuck, but I don't know if it's like an official meme that we can add to this list. Um, we'll call them both honorable memes at this point. And if we miss any memes, um, if we just completely overlooked something, please reach out to us and let us know because we want to make sure that we pay homage to every single amazing JoJo meme, which is part of the reason we even watch JoJo is for the memes. <laughs> so diving right into this episode, the first thing that happens is the enemy is literally in the fucking door. I mean, what a great way to start the episode. There's a, a, a hand-shaped doorknob that grosses Joseph out. And then the enemy is just in the fucking door. I, I don't know what else to say about that one. <laughs> and I actually have a question about Wired Beck. So do these vampires that are affected by the soul mask, they just have the ability to phase through things now? Um, Now is a good added <laughs> word there because I don't think in the past they did have this ability, but maybe yeah. now they do. There's also another ability that I'll bring up in a little bit that I didn't think was a thing and now it's a thing. So, you know... Iraqi, it's not an Iraqi forgot thing, I guess, because these are new, but mm -hmm. Iraqi will forget because we won't see them come <laughs> up again. <laughs> but like, I guess either way, Wired Beck was just an, a throwaway character. And I think this is like the only real piece of action that we get in this episode. But it just reminds you of when Joseph faced against um, Donovan in the desert of Mexico. Like how. Oh, the guy with the tongue? Yeah, just how inconsequential these things are and i feel like they just threw it in for again some piece of action to happen well i think it's the same with the the trio of vampires at the end of part one i think weren't wasn't one of them named it for like sting i can't remember who the fuck their names were oh yeah whoever they were um the, like they they seemed inconsequential as well because they were there for like a hot five seconds but these things make me wonder are they are these enemies playing a bigger part in the manga and just because of the time constraints david production cuts them out but still wants to acknowledge them for those manga readers and still has them in there for at least a moment um still shares their their specific name because i can't imagine iraqi would name these characters these super minor enemies just to kill them off seconds later that's true but it's just very odd how parallel it is to donovan's appearance yeah, and to me, it's like, if, if this is a throwaway enemy, then don't even bother naming them. Don't give them such a, a spotlight because, I mean, Lisa Lisa disposed of him with little to no effort. So, I don't know, maybe maybe there's more to this character in the manga, um, or maybe Iraqi just does whatever the fuck he wants, and that's fine with me. But I do want to call out this fight um, because... This is one of the only moments we get to see Lisa Lisa in action. And she destroys Wired Beck effortlessly. She's OP as fuck and totally badass. And honestly, it's a shame that we don't get to see more of her in action. Because if she can do this with ease, imagine her going up against a bigger baddie. I don't know, like cars? That would have been a really fucking cool yeah. fight. <laughs> <laughs> and speaking of the Pillarman, I think... Again, like this just highlights how OP she is. And I noticed there are like a lot of parallels in this episode between certain characters, but this particular moment where she wraps the scarf around Wired Beck and then just walks away, it reminded me of when Wamu just walked through Mark. Um, oh, yeah. Poor back Mark. in Rome, I think that was Rome, right? Yeah. And he just ended that man's Nazi career. But <laughs> like, I think. Putting that together, you like you can obviously tell that Lisa Lisa is not to be fucked with much as Wamu is not to be fucked with. I'll keep saying it. I think it's a shame that we don't get to see her fight in the anime. I don't know if she fights in the manga, but 
They tout her as this incredibly skilled master of Hamon. I mean, even Wamu in this episode acknowledges that she is so skilled in Hamon that she can sense all the vampires on the ceiling. Mm -hmm. And we never get to see anything. This is her moment to shine. This silly short fight against Wired Beck where she doesn't even put in any effort because she doesn't need to because he's so weak and she's so strong. That's all we get. It just, it irks me because I love her character so much and it's hard when you tell me that she's really skilled in Hamon and all we really see is her training others to be good in that that technique. But with that said, I do want to acknowledge Wired Beck's fucking scream because holy shit, that rivals <laughs> Straitso's, or Straitso's, Stroheim's fucking laugh that he does. Yeah, it's probably like the second best vocal utterance um, in part two. <laughs> and... This is super random. This is probably the fourth time I've watched this episode, but just now I'm noticing that when his spikes come out of his body, his hair disappears. Like we don't even I don't I don't even think we see his hair like disappear or anything. It's just gone. Like one frame it's there, the next frame it's spikes and no hair. So, I don't know. I just thought that was really goofy and I wanted to call that out. Yeah, I don't know if like the hair turned into spikes. Or if it or fell if out it... of his head because it got impaled by the spikes. <laughs> means, like, you got to just grow that back. It's going to take a while. Um, and I think I was going to mention this during the Is That a Music reference section, but I think Wired Beck, his original appearance was meant to look like the younger Jeff Beck. Because so, oh. he, he looks kind of like that 60s kind of rock star thing with the hair and even like the tank top. I could see that. But yeah, then they ruin it with all the spikes coming out of his body. <laughs> <laughs> well, after they defeat Wired Beck, Joseph decides not to take the antidote yet. And Lisa Lisa questions that. And he says he doesn't want to do it until he defeats Wamu. Not because, you know, he made this dual pact with Wamu, but because um, it represents the promise between him and Caesar that he'll fight and live to see another day. So then he asks Lisa Lisa to hold on to it for him, but she refuses saying, who knows what'll happen to her? And when I first watched the show, I was like, oh shit, she's going to die. Like that's mm-hmm. always the, the what do you call it? I was going to say cardinal sin. That, I don't think that, that makes any sense. It's like the, the telltale sign yeah. that someone's going to fucking die, like all that foreshadowing. But that didn't happen. <laughs> yeah, I was like, there's a lot of blatant foreshadowing of some grim fate for Lisa Lisa. I think we talked about it a couple episodes ago um, where she has this foreboding look um, as she leaves Italy. Oh, well, that was when they were in the car, and she says, you know, we're going to go after the Red Stone. We're going to fight the Pillar Men. Um, Some of us may may not even make it back. And then she says Caesar right after, and Caesar's Mm. like, blah, 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 whatever the fuck he said. (laughs) And then we were all like, oh, no. Yeah, but I always always thought, like, it was her, like, kind of predicting her own death, which didn't happen technically – well, she still died in this part, but not the way that we thought. She dies in this part? Well, in the epilogue, remember? She, oh, they met, right. Like, like when they like she passes the away yeah, peacefully, okay. like, not like die like at the hands of the pillar. <laughs> I was like, when did she die? No. <laughs> I mean, yes, you're technically correct. At the end of the uh, the part, they do wrap up everyone's stories saying that I think she got remarried. Like she, she moved mm. to the United States with Joseph, got remarried, and then they do confirm confirmed death um yeah by that one well she doesn't die before that so yeah. i don't know what this fucking <laughs> foreshadowing was all about probably to throw us off the scent and i'm glad that she didn't die because again i love her character but i think it's really mature of joseph to decide to not take the antidote his life is literally on the line here he already had to go through one crazy fight with with acdc and get that antidote and now he has a chance to i guess semi-confirm his life, um, her his ability to continue living by taking this antidote, but he would rather risk the the fight with Wamu and not taking the antidote than, I guess, have any disrespect to his good friend Caesar. And I think it's an example of Joseph living by the this sort of disciplined warrior warrior code, and you know, like he could take the easy way out and just take the antidote then and there, but. I think later on he tells Wamu of his intent to not take the antidote until he defeats defeats him. And I think that just that gets ingrained in Wamu's head. And we'll see more of this, I think, in the next episode and the following episode, but that there's more of a connection between Joseph and Wamu than they realize. 
Yeah, and speaking of Wamu, when they first approach Wamu, he recognizes, as I alluded to earlier, he recognizes that Lisa Lisa is a first-class Hamon warrior who trained Joseph and Caesar and can sense the vampire's breathing. Um, and I didn't realize until, again, this fourth watch through that Wamu and Lisa Lisa meet for the first time in this room because mm-hmm. he, he seems so surprised by her. And I was like, why is he surprised? He knows who she is. But then I realized, no, they actually have not met yet until they reach this room. Um, so then that's why he's commenting, saying like, oh, so you're the Hamon teacher who's gotten Joseph and Caesar to the point that they're at. Yeah, and even here, I think they have a conversation later about what to do with the, the two of them when Cars appears. Because um, I think Cars intends to just take out the pair right then and there. Yeah, I said that already, right? Then and there. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> anyways, um, but I think Wamu like interferes and reminds Cars that he wants to fight Joseph um, for ACDC's sake. And there's another parallel here where it's again, Wamu is fighting for another friend's sake, much as Joseph is fighting for Caesar's sake. So. I've repeated myself with a different phrase, but I'll repeat myself with another phrase. The pair are more alike than they realize. <laughs> um, I do really love the part where Joseph is trying to play it coy as he places the string all around the room, um, mm-hmm. but of course gets immediately caught by all the vampires because it's super fucking obvious what he's trying to do. But his little shuffle, kind of like holding his body and like putting his hand on his face and just talking out his ass while this little string is getting placed behind him was a great moment it was a nice bit of comedic relief that we definitely needed after the previous episode and just to remind us that joseph is still the idiotic goofball that we know and love yeah and this is like mere like minutes after caesar has died yeah. too like it just gets back into that aloof personality I think one of the most impressive parts of this episode, uh, not only seeing Lisa Lisa fight for the first and last time, um, but also seeing her fucking fake out cars. Like, yeah, it's great. It's fantastic. She 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 bluffs um, and says that there's a bomb on the stone. It'll detonate if, if her and Joseph don't arrive back at a certain time. And Joseph's all like, I don't know what the fuck you're talking about, but I'll play along. And I just think to myself, gee, I wonder where Joseph got his deception skills from. <laughs> mm-hmm. I was going to say another parallel because <laughs> they both know how to bluff their way out of these situations against the pillar man. So it's like like mother, like son, I guess. A hundred percent. Lisa Lisa is not only powerful, but cunning. And it's very out of character for her. But uh, Joseph is also very powerful and cunning even though that's in character for him. I mean, you had to have figured that Joseph's personality stems from one of the two parents, right? And mm-hmm. as we'll learn in a couple of episodes, George Joestar II is fucking straight-laced. So maybe Lisa Straight-edged. Lisa... Oh, what's, what's straight-laced? <laughs> oh, no. Oh, straight-edged? I don't know. <laughs> Am I making up a, turn? <laughs> a term? <laughs> I was using straight-edge because... I know CM Punk um, had his AEW I may have debut. just made up straight-laced. Is that even a thing? Can you Google it really quick? Straight-laced? You know? Yeah. No, it, it's a word. Um, but I like straight-edge has been used a lot, too. Um, I'm only using it because, again, in reference to CM Punk's AEW debut recently. <laughs> well, he's a straight-edge wrestler. Okay, so then George Joestar II is very straight-edge, and Lisa Lisa may appear to be straight-edge as well, but as we can see here... She is cunning as fuck, so I think that's where Joseph got that in his personality. Plus, he was raised by like Speedwagon and Erina, so it's only it's only natural that he's got kind of a, an interesting personality. Mm-hmm. And I think Cars too calls out Lisa. Lisa's um, bluff, not bluff, but her tenacity. Tenacity. <laughs> What's the- <laughs> Oh, I'll just say, like, he says to her, woman, you have pluck. And, and then I thought about the sword, luck and yeah, pluck. Yeah, it's a very subtle reference to part one. As a reminder, pluck kind of means courage or resolution in the face of difficulties or overwhelming odds. So I'm sorry, but part one and part two of JoJo, that's literally the only time I've ever heard the word pluck used in that context. Other than like plucking something, I don't know, like, you know, off of someone or out of the ground or whatever. This is the only time I've ever heard it used like this. And I am so confused every time it comes up. 
Yeah, I think it, you know, it's like the history of words. Words change meaning over time. So I think pluck had this original kind of noble meaning, and then it just referred, later on referred to like how to play a guitar or how to take feathers off of a, a bird. A bird. <laughs> well, confirmed JoJo's Bizarre Adventure is educational as well. Yes. I've now learned that pluck has another meaning. <laughs> mm-hmm. But yeah, my point there was that Cars also respects how intellectual and cunning Lisa Lisa is. As we all do. She's awesome and Joseph is awesome. And speaking of Cars, since when can Cars and Wamu just fucking vanish into thin air? They they leave yeah. the room by vanishing into thin air. And this is that other power that I mentioned earlier that is new but we'll never see again. I don't think we'll see it again. And it's like a, a future Iraqi forgot moment. I mean, I know like Wamu he's shown that wind ability, but yeah, I don't really remember any phasing through walls or out of rooms. It's, yeah. <laughs> it's just for the d- dramatic effect. Yeah, this is the the beauty of JoJo. It doesn't need to make sense because fuck it, it's JoJo. We're fine with that. <laughs> and speaking of things that don't make sense, just going into the next scene or setting up the next scene. So Cars and Wamu decide on where to fight and that's Peace Berlina. The show calls it Peace Berlina for some reason. Do you think that's a subtitle typo? It might be. Or do they actually say Berlina in the Japanese? I actually never listened that intently. I hear I hear Berlina, and maybe it's just the way that you know the Japanese kind of pronounce um, certain consonants, and that's where like it, the translator kind of just picked up what it sounded like in the English language, but. All that aside, Pies Bernina is the highest mountain in the Eastern Alps. And they're implying that there's this ancient Roman Colosseum-like arena at the top of these mountains. Like, what's the plausibility of that? Because, you know, it's freezing up in the up in the Alps, I'm sure. Like, it's winter right now. Yeah, but and the weird thing is, it's a good point. Everyone's fucking wearing, like, little to no clothing. Other than, like, Lisa Lisa. Are you talking about the undead or just like the characters in general? Well, isn't that Coliseum or whatever? That's where Wamu and Cars and Joseph and Lisa Lisa all go to? Yeah. And that's in the Alps? Yes. Wamu's wearing like panties (laughs) and like a bralette. (laughs) Well, these are um, omniscient, omnipotent beings. Okay, well then Joseph is wearing um, a crop top. Well, Joseph a is <laughs> a muscular man who is just has a fiery soul. Yeah, that, that and keeps he's, him he's battling for his life. So I'm sure he's sweating his ass off. <laughs> yeah, but yeah, I was thinking about that as I think the the narrator was, or no, it was like one of the pillar men were, was describing like this battleground. I was like, I don't think Romans would want to travel all the way up here to have like gladiator battles yeah jojo logic it's just jojo logic (laughs) (laughs) well with that next scene joseph mentions or i guess not mentions but in his inner monologue he says that until yesterday he thought only of himself but now he feels compassion welling up inside him and i'm kind of confused by this because i'm like you always thought of other people especially your family but maybe he just didn't realize it he's always been very compassionate even shedding tears for acdc well i don't know if he shed a tear for acdc but he mm-hmm. empathized or sympathized i don't know which one is more correct with acdc as he was getting burned up by the sun i think joseph joseph is incredibly compassionate but yeah maybe he just didn't realize it until this moment i mean caesar's death I think we can all agree that it was a turning point for him. So uh, as much as like he showed these traits of compassion before, it's not until, again, he sees his friend die that it, it's more of reality for him of how much he does care about people. True, because Caesar is kind of the first person super close to him that he loses. Yeah. Um, he almost loses Speedwagon, but then he realizes he's alive, so... He can breathe a, a sigh of relief. And it's not to say that other people haven't died that have impacted him. But again, Caesar is the one of the closest people to him and the first one that he's lost on this journey. So yeah, maybe that is kind of what he needed to realize how compassionate he is. Um, I did find it really painful right before this part, like immediately before he has to walk back past Caesar's body underneath mm-hmm. the rock. 
and he acknowledges that too and i'm like oh my god that fucking sucks but where'd all the blood go um jojo logic (laughs) (laughs) i mean yeah maybe it dried but i think it's already brutal enough to have to watch him walk back past caesar and Mm -hmm. then to see the blood still there the pool ever growing (laughs) would be a little much yeah (laughs) well then we go from him having this very uh reflective inner monologue talking about compassion to him wanting to uh, find some panties for Lisa Lisa. (laughs) Like immediately the next scene after, I mean, granted he's trying to find the red stone. He opens her suitcase, he sees it. And then he jokes around saying, maybe I can also bring her back a pair of panties. (laughs) I'm like, bro, (laughs) bro, when you find out who this person is, you're going to regret everything that you've said. And then he finds out like her actual age later on. Yeah. So he sees the picture of Edina Speedwagon and Straitso with a baby, I think from 1889. Mm -hmm. And he gets very confused as to why Lisa Lisa has this. And I think she's got like a picture album as well that he takes with him back to wherever he's meeting Lisa Lisa and Wamu and Cars. And Lisa Lisa reveals that she's the baby that Edina saved on the ship from part one. And that's when Joseph does the math and realizes that she's 50 years old, but she looks like she's in her late 20s and jokes around with her saying, I get that Hamon, you know, is life-saving energy and makes you look younger, but you look way younger than you actually are. And uh, maybe I see a wrinkle behind your sunglasses. That was so funny. (laughs) (laughs) I just love like the pillar men are nearby and they're watching this. And it's just another comic relief section of this episode because like this really wacky music starts playing as he's kind of thinking these things through. Um, And, you know, maybe it's it's another piece of comedy that's needed before this very serious situation comes up. Um, but we'll all, we all will know that Joseph uses this knowledge of Hamon to his advantage in later parts. So it's kind of funny that yeah. it gets established with Lisa Lisa, although he didn't know that, like, he didn't know at this point that it was his mother. Well, Lisa Lisa then reveals that Straitso raised her, taught her Hamon, and gave her the stone to protect. And Joseph thinks to himself that it's so strange how Lisa Lisa and him are linked in this way and that they both had very difficult upbringings. And as the viewer, you just sit there and you think, yeah, you have no idea. (laughs) Yeah, and she even implies, she says, our family roots are entwined, which right then and there, that's my third time saying that phrase. (laughs) I don't know why I keep saying it, but that right there um, is another implication of um, her blood connection to Joseph. I don't know whether it's out of the realm out of the realm of possibility for Joseph at this point or if he is really just that dense that he doesn't put two and two together. I mean as the viewer at this point for for a first time viewer it's not explicitly stated that they're family so you're also kind of discovering this the same way that Joseph is. Um the only difference is that we have intimate knowledge of what happened in part 1 so we can put that together a little bit easier. I mean I I I called it when I first watched Jojo part two, I was like, I'm pretty sure that's your fucking mom. I don't know. Or like mm. a, a family member of some sort. Cause that just to me felt like what they were hinting at, especially when she said our, our family roots are entwined. I'm like, okay, what's going on here? Something, something in particular is going on here. And I think Joseph may just be very distracted with the fight that's upcoming and losing his friend, or maybe he's just not in tune enough to realize who this person is i think the latter <laughs> yeah because even smoky kind of put it together pretty quickly when speedwagon was dropping some ma- mad hints and mm-hmm. one of the little episodes that'll be coming up soon it's brawn over brains for joseph i would say yeah <laughs> and then finally at the end of the episode things kick off with the battle between wamu and joseph and as mentioned earlier joseph strips off his jacket in a glorious jojo pose and then fucking chucks it away while screaming wamu's name and it's just a perfect setup for the next episode. Oh, wait. And then he dons Caesar's headband yeah. for the chariot duel. And then it's a perfect setup for the next episode. <laughs> yeah. Which that was kind of spoiled for us um, from the OP because we see him dramatically put that on um, at the end of the of the opening. True. Oh, wait. Speaking of the OP, in the Caesar death episode, did we talk about how the blood bubble was in the OP? Yes, okay. we did. I just had a moment of panic there. I'm like, shit, did we not call that out? Because that, that was a, a big deal. <laughs> But yeah, in the OP, you get that image that we've seen 
episode after episode in part two of Joseph putting on the headband, and now we have context for that. Mm-hmm. The one thing I wanted to point out with um, this final scene is we see like these war horses that are like they blast through the crowd of the undead as they're chanting, I think, Wamu's name or whatever. And then they nearly pummel Wamu too until he stops them at the last second. But then Cars ensures Joseph and Lisa Lisa that Joseph will be able to use the horses even though they're undead because the reins are infused with Hamon. But if that's the case, wouldn't Ooh. that disintegrate the horses? Who fucking touched the reins to put them on there too? <laughs> <laughs> or is this kind of like, I know like... Or wh- maybe it conducts... Did you say it's infused with Hamon or it can conduct Hamon? No, the reins are infused with Hamon. Then yes, that is a valid question. And uh, Araki forgot how Hamon <laughs> use, or Hamon works in this moment. Because I was thinking maybe it's kind of like what happened with Wang Chun. Because um, I think Jonathan was able to influence him back on the ship, right? Oh, shit, that's right. Yeah, you can control vampires mm-hmm. or zombies or whatever the fuck with Hamon. Yeah, but then you bring up the good point of like who put these reins on. If Who they're... infused them with Hamon? <laughs> Wait a second. Yeah. Did they they had to have found another Hamon user to use Hamon and therefore infuse the reins in yeah. order to put them on the horse. And then, yeah, someone had to put them on the horse in the first place. Okay, yes. I feel bad for that guy. <laughs> <laughs> yes, you have found a very, very big plot hole in this episode that somehow, oh, sorry for anyone who just heard our or dog flap his ears. <laughs> Rigby likes to lay in here in our podcasting room with us and... Uh, most recently during this recording, he's been laying on his back. So his little corgi legs have been sticking up, you know, working hard here, Rigby, huh, while we're recording. <laughs> <laughs> no, he's just shaking his head at the, the logic of yeah. this. Come on, <laughs> He's rain. like, damn, that JoJo logic. <laughs> but yes, you have found a very big plot hole in this episode, a very big minor plot hole that um, I'll now never forget. Yeah. And then obviously the most annoying thing about this transitional episode is the cliffhanger of the race about to start and then it doesn't i wrote a note that this is one of the biggest boner breakers since nearly finding out the formula the secret formula for the krabby patty <laughs> like that's how i felt as soon as we see the to be continued screen roll in well i think they were trying to preserve some level of mystery because in the the preview for the next episode we get visuals but we don't get any real vocals like it's just the wamu it's just the wamu, vampires cheering wamu. wamu yeah that's it there there no one tells us what's going to happen or gives us any context whatsoever so is that a good trade off i don't know <laughs> maybe i i just thought it was funny that they used their chanting um as the preview dialogue and that brings us to our final thoughts for part 2 episode 12 100 against 2 what did you think about this episode I thought we kind of already voiced <laughs> our thoughts on it. Yeah, just to recap, um, I, I, I'm biased as fuck when it comes to JoJo. I still think every single JoJo episode is valuable and is enjoyable. This one is no exception. It's just less enjoyable than some of the other episodes because it's just trying to bridge that gap between the Caesar arc and the Wamu fight arc. And I think that without this episode, we would have a huge gap in knowledge when it comes to Lisa Lisa both in her fighting ability and Hamon ability um, as well as her backstory so at the very least we get important story building context from this episode but I would say really that is the biggest takeaway there's not much else to take away from this episode still good though what about you yeah I would say it seems like a pretty lackluster episode but Nonetheless, it plants some of the seeds for what will be the big reveal about Lisa Lisa's true identity and even Wamu's and Joseph's respect for the warrior code and how that kind of connects them when they conclude the battle in the next episode. But I get it, like for this episode, we kind of need that calm before the storm. And so that's why this the plot of this episode is pretty much in service of the next episode, which is set to be this epic showdown between Joseph and Wamu. Although I think even calling it an epic showdown seems to be an understatement. Um, But I am excited to watch this next episode again and to discuss it on our next podcast. The chariot duel is wild. It's just wild. And I'm excited to talk about it too. It is 
I know you've said this word before. It is dick scheming. <laughs> dick scheming. And it's fine. It's I think like, on more of a physical level too because Mama was <laughs> less of a strategist than ACDC was. Yeah. So as much as I coined the term transitional, you coined the term dick scheming. And so I'm going to use that um, <laughs> when describing the fi- the next episode. That's fair. I borrowed a transitional episode a few times this, this time around. So yes, please borrow dick scheming anytime you want. <laughs> So yeah, get ready for some dick scheming in the next one. (laughs) And that wraps up episode 21 of Strictly JoJo. If you enjoyed the podcast and would like to support the show, then head over to patreon.com slash strictly series and subscribe on your favorite podcast streaming service so you can be notified when new episodes premiere every other Monday. Follow us on Instagram at the Strictly Series and on Twitter at Strictly Series and connect with us there or on our website, thestrictlyseries.com to share your thoughts on JoJo's Bizarre Adventure. You'll also find more info on Strictly Anime, our other podcasts for anime reviews and discussions. Thank you so much for listening and sharing our love of JoJo. Stay weeb, everyone. To be continued.